know, we've been walking through the book of Acts, and we've seen the church grow both in number and in depth. All throughout, this is what we've seen. And we've also seen God continually challenging His people, pushing them out there, and giving them a bigger vision for what He's doing all around the world. And this was true of the early church, and this is true of us today. We're continually being pushed to see, okay, what, what are you doing, Lord? What do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? Who do you want us to serve? And you know, the early church, as we've read through the book of Acts up to this point, it's experienced a number of vulnerable times. Just vulnerable situations where it, would, it looked like it was about to either crumble or implode at any moment. It was just on the verge. We saw it with Stephen and the widows who were being overlooked and they had to appoint some men to were filled with the Spirit to deal with the issue. It was at that point where we thought even within Jerusalem it was going to crumble, yet God worked in a way to propel it forward and the gospel went further out. And we continue to see the church deal with these very vulnerable seasons in its life. And I would say our church is in one of those vulnerable seasons now. And we're in this situation where we want to move forward, but we're wondering what will that look like. And anytime there's transition, there's vulnerability. Yet vulnerability is not always bad. You look at the little baby, you know, very vulnerable, but yet... So much life and potential wrapped up in that little child. Or you look at relationships. If you've ever had a friendship or any type of relationship, you know how special it can be, how much goodness and love there can be there, but it's very vulnerable. They're very fragile at the same time. So you have vulnerability and yet great love and goodness and potentiality right here mixed up in the one. And that's the church in Jerusalem. And that's the church today. And that's our church today. Vulnerable. Like a blossom on a fruit tree. At this time of the year, a lot of peaches, a lot of peach trees. You get this warm snap, everything's budding, everything's blooming. And then, you know, sometimes we have that thread of cold weather that moves in. The blossoms are, are coming out, about to bloom. The cold weather moves in and there's panic. You know, will the frost come in and kill off the blossom and keep the tree from producing fruit? Very vulnerable, but yet full of potential, that little blossom. If given the right circumstance, it will produce fruit. But it's vulnerable. It's, it's waiting to see what will happen. And in this passage that Charlie read for us in Acts 11, the church is again in this vulnerable situation. You know, God takes this man, Peter, this great leader of the church, one of the original apostles of Christ, who spends the bulk of his time in Jerusalem, and yet he's thrust out of Jerusalem on mission, and then God has to deal with him in certain ways to expand his mind and show him what God is actually doing in the world. And so he deals with some of his cultural prejudices and some of the things that he is allowing to make their way into the gospel and in God's agenda, his Jewishness. And we looked at that last week, how God had to deal with Peter and get him beyond himself and beyond his personal preferences, beyond his culture, so that Peter can meet Cornelius, this Gentile, who wants to know God. And we saw Peter struggling to understand, yet being very teachable. And you've got to love Peter for that. You know, he's 
He just tells you like it is. Sometimes he makes mistakes, but he's frank with you and he's teachable. And God uses him to intersect the life of a man named Cornelius and all his family, all his friends, Gentiles, non-Jews, someone that Peter would never would have associated with. A big cultural no-no. And yet he is teachable and available and God uses him. And he shows him, shows Peter, that the gospel is not just for the Jew, but it's for the world. And he sees these people respond in faith. They're filled with the Holy Spirit just like they were filled in Acts 2. And they were baptized and welcomed into the church. So Peter has had his mind blown. His view of God and his view of God's mission has greatly expanded. But now it's time to go back to Jerusalem. And you know it's in Jerusalem. The Jewish Christians. And so, how do you think they're going to respond to the news that Peter shared the gospel and actually visited and even ate with Gentiles? That's what we see in Acts 11. Well, if you look with, look with me at verses 1 through 3, we're going to see that Peter is met with suspicion. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, and Luke is referring to the Jewish Christians there. Okay, the Jewish Christians, the circumcision party, criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Isn't that odd? Peter has been ministering to all these different people outside of Jerusalem and even to the Gentiles, seeing God do great things. He makes his way back to the church in Jerusalem and pieces of the story are making it back to Jerusalem faster than perhaps the whole story, which often happens. And Peter gets there, the Christians greet him, and what do they say? Peter, I heard you saw a vision from God. Will you tell us what it is? No, I wouldn't. Peter, I heard the Holy Spirit came down just like he did Acts 2. Tell us about it. That wasn't it either. I heard Gentiles, whole families coming to Christ. That, they didn't care about that. What did they ask? What did you eat and who did you eat with? I mean, that's what they're concerned with. Tell me, tell me what you had for dinner and who did you eat with? Isn't something wrong with that? I mean, we read this, we think, something's wrong with it. And Luke wants you to see, something's wrong with this. This is not what we should be celebrating. This is not what we should be talking about. However, this is exactly what Peter is dealing with. And so, not only are they questioning some Jewish Christian that shared the gospel with the Gentile, they're questioning Peter. <laughs> the Apostle Peter. The church, they're questioning him. They're, they're allowing their, their cultural biases, their personal preferences to get in the way of seeing what God's doing around the world. But how does, how does Peter respond to that? Though? I mean, how do you respond when people approach you with misunderstanding and criticism? I mean, does Peter just lash out at them? Does Peter say, Hey, listen here. I am 
one of the three, you know. <laughs> I am the inner three of the apostles watching you talking to me. He doesn't say that. And the reason he doesn't say that, I think, and the reason we don't have to say that when we are misunderstood or we're criticized is because, see, we have experienced the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God in Christ. And see, when you, when you experience that, now you're in a position of freedom of fear or the opinions of man. And so when someone criticizes you or misunderstands you or whatever it may be, you can approach them with humility because of who you are in Christ. And you've been there. Right? We've all criticized someone. We've all had mis... You know, we don't have the whole picture yet. We, we, we work off of it. We've all been there. And so notice what Peter does when he is confronted with his Jewish brothers in Christ dealing with his dietary plan and who he ate with his company at the dinner table. Notice what he does in verses 4 through 17. He just tells them what God did. He just reiterates almost word for word what God was doing. He tells God's story. He doesn't tell Peter's story. He tells God's story. And you may say, well, Ron, this, this section here in Acts chapter 11, it sounds the same as Acts chapter 10. You know, Luke, almost word for word, put it in there twice. And you may notice that. You may not think much of it because, you know, with Microsoft Word or Pages, we just copy and paste all day long. I mean, we have infinite numbers of pages. We can just keep going on and on and on. But that was not how it was back then. Let me read you a quote from a scholar that gives us a little glimpse of how things were transmitted back then. He said, The importance that Luke attached to this incident is shown by the amount of space he devoted to it. In ancient times, a writer had by no means unlimited space. The book form had not come into use. Writers used rolls of a material called Papyrus, papyrus, sorry, called papyrus, which was the forerunner of paper and was made of the pith of the papyrus plant, a kind of bulrush. Now a roll in an unwilled, a roll is an unwieldy thing, and the longest roll that was used was about 35 feet long, which would be almost precisely the length required to hold the book of Acts. So you get the picture, you're working off a scroll. You can't just copy-paste in Microsoft Word and have an infinite number of pages. So you're limited in space to some degree. And so, into that space, this author said, that you know Luke had probably an endless amount of material. You know, what he wouldn't give for, you know, a MacBook or a laptop, you know, just to be able to just jot down every story, every incident, every teaching he's ever heard. But he's limited. And so, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he put this story in twice. It says, He must have selected with the greatest care what he was going to set down, and yet he finds the story of Peter and Cornelius of such importance that he twice relates it in full. Interesting. And I think the reason he does it is because he wants to make sure the readers understand that the gospel is for everyone. 
It's not just a Jewish gospel. It's a gospel for the world. And Luke wants to make that perfectly clear. And so as Peter recounts what happened to him on this journey he was on, because see, Peter, the reason he can respond to this group in Jerusalem is because he was in their shoes. He had the same blinders on. He had the same barriers to overcome. And yet God took him through this vision, through messengers, through this situation, and walked him along and just blew the blinders off. And when Peter saw it, Peter submitted himself to what God was doing, and God was able to use him in a mighty way. And so now Peter, when he goes back to Jerusalem, he's encountering the same pushback that Peter himself had had, had earlier on in Acts chapter 10. He's experiencing the same pushback. And so Peter, in humility, simply recounts the story and takes this church of Jewish Christians and brings them along in his journey to show them, in fact, what God is doing all around the world. And then at the very end of the story, in, in verse 17, look what he says. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking of the Holy Spirit, you know, when the Holy Spirit came down on them, it was a very similar experience that He had with them as He had in Acts chapter 2. He saw, okay, the Jews experienced Christ and the fullness of the Spirit this way, and now these Gentiles are. And so he's saying to himself, well, if they were able to experience the same thing we did, he says, who was I that I could stand in God's way? <laughs> you can see Peter say, I understand where you're coming from. I, I know what you're thinking. But look what God's doing. You know, look what God has done. Who is going to stand in the way? Am I going to stand in the way? I don't think so. And the question is, obviously to them, are you going to stand in the way? And Peter's saying, I am, I am smack dab in the middle of God's mission. And that's exactly where I want to be. And isn't that where you all want to be? That's where I want to be. I want to be smack dab in the middle of God's mission and what He's doing around the world what he's doing in the city, what he's doing in this neighborhood, what he's doing in the church. This is where we want to be. And who cares what people think about how we use our resources, you know, if we're giving it to people in the community. You know, non-Christians may look on that and think, that's not a smart investment. These people can't repay you. Who cares? Who cares if people, you know, they look on us and they think we're crazy for believing in the supernatural. Who cares? You know, who cares if they, they, they look with us in astonishment that we believe the Bible is God's Word? Or that Christ is the Son of God? Or that the Gospel is for the whole world? Or that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him? Who cares? Because we want to be right where God wants us to be to fulfill His mission on the planet. That's where we want to be. So Peter is basically telling them, that's where I want to be. Is that where you want to be? Now, there are times, though, and this is not one of them, 
Could be on the reverse, I guess you'd say. But what, what the church was telling Peter was misguided. But what Peter told the church was right on the money. And there are times that we, we see other people, other believers, even people in our church, they may do something that we don't necessarily care for as much, but it's more of a personal preference. Well, we should extend grace to them. But if we see one of our brothers and sisters doing something that is threatening to the gospel or the, the, the welfare of the community, then we need to step in and talk to them about it. And that's exactly, I think, what Peter's doing here, is he is entering into where they are and he's telling God's story in a way that brings them along and helps them to get on board with what God's doing in the world. And that's exactly what we need to do to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Out of concern for them and concern for God's glory, we want to enter in and help people move forward in God's mission. And that's what Peter is doing. And so Peter recounts the story of God. Peter says, how can I stand in the way of what God is doing? He's working. He's a God of the world. The gospel is for the world. And then notice how the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem respond. In verse 18. He said, When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So two things happen. One, they fell silent. Silence, just like in this room right now. Why? Because the basis for their confrontation, the legs were taken out from under them. Peter was able to communicate God's story in such a way that helped them to see that, yes, this is from the Lord. And they were at that pivotal moment where they were thinking, okay, are we going to get on board with this or are we not? And it says they were silent, and then it says they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So not only were they silenced, but they were also able to come to a point where they could rejoice with Peter at the work of God. You know, the church in Jerusalem... Was, was a budding flower. It was a budding flower. And then the frost of racism and personal preference began to enter the orchard. But before it was able to wither the blossom, this vulnerable blossom, the wind of God came rushing in with this warm breeze that not only pushed back the frost but caused the blossom to come into full bloom and produce fruit. That's the gospel. That's the power of God. And you and I, we are in the path of frost. And we're in the path of, this church is in the path of frost. But in the midst, if you are in Christ, 
that you have residing within you the Holy Spirit. He is our warm breeze that can come rushing in, push back the frost, and cause these blossoms in our lives to burst forth and produce fruit and fruit that will last. So my prayer for us tonight is as, as believers, as the church, that we would have the eyes to see the frost. And that we would have the faith to turn to Christ and the power of the Spirit through the wisdom of His Word to move forward and have this warm breeze of the Spirit blow on you, blow on me, blow on this church in a way that causes us to produce fruit and fruit that will last. That's what I'd love to see happen. I know that's what you want to see. And so, let me pray for us tonight and then we'll close out with one final song. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this reminder that although we're often in vulnerable places in our lives and in the life of this church and the life of your church, I pray that you would cause the warm breeze of your spirit to wash over us, to blow away the frost, uh, to help us to get on board with wherever you would have us to go so that we can be about your mission, be about your fame, be about your glory, be about your purposes in this world. Lord, give us wisdom if there's anything in our lives that is keeping us from being used by you. If it's something in our culture, it's personal preference, hardened heart, whatever it may be, God, would you melt it? Would you remove it? Would you fill us with your spirit tonight that we would be open and available to whatever you would have us to do so that your name would be glorified in this place. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.